Isn't that a stunningly elegant and eloquent reading? Isn't that just beautiful? You know, this is, comes from Moses' farewell speech. The prophet is trying to sum up all that God has revealed to him that he has relayed to the Israelites. This long sermon starts in chapter 29, runs all the way through 33, and then in chapter 34, Moses is concluded, so he goes up Mount Nebo and he looks out over the promised land and he dies. But before that, he gives this long sermon and this ceremony is in the form of an ancient ritual, a covenanting ritual. Moses is enjoining the Israelites to remember and to be faithful to the covenant that God has given them. Now, while there's a stern warning in there, very stern, the underlying tone is hope and encouragement and empowerment. God's covenant is such that God loves us so much. God loves the Israelites so much that God allows them to choose between good and ill. Among all those pretty phrases, I want to make sure that you hear four very specific words. The first one is covenant. Again, God never fails to keep his side of the covenant. The Hebrew stories, Jesus' stories and parables and the early church letters all remind us that even when we fail, when we choose poorly, that God loves us. God's grace and mercy abound and God always holds us and gives us a second chance, allows us to turn back to God's love and way never abandons us, never disowns us. The second word I want to make sure that you heard is good. Good things happen when we choose life. Now that should be pretty obvious, right? Interestingly enough, good does not equal easy. Matter of fact, often just the opposite. Uh, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about if you've ever been part of something getting born, uh, whether that was puppies or kittens or humans or calves or whatever, uh, or churches or countries or whatever, that it's a good process, but it's, it's messy and it's hard. So good, but good doesn't equal easy. The third word is death or adversity. Choosing to follow other gods or, just as seriously, inaction causes real consequences, causes people to suffer. Sometimes that's us. Oftentimes it's people that we never see or know, which makes it even trickier. God is always faithful to God's side of the covenant. But when we choose poorly, there are consequences, real consequences, and we have to be aware of that. And the fourth word is fun because it's descendants. Did you hear yourself in that scripture a minute ago? Remember, Moses is talking to the, to the Israelites and, and he said, you will have life and so will your descendants down through the ages. And we are the descendants of those people in that desert all those years ago. We're their descendants in faith. So we got mentioned. At the same time, of course, Moses is calling to us down through all those ages, and he's saying, remember this covenant and remember the power that God gives you and to use it well. Moses is calling us to reflection as he is calling the Israelites to introspection, to embrace the power, but to do that 
carefully. He's calling us to bring that story forward from that desert halfway around the world thousands of years ago into our lives and into our times. So with that in mind, I thought it would be fun about a week ago to send out some notes at random to some folks in the congregation. And uh, I say all ages, all kinds of folks, sent out a note and I said, if you would like, this is an opportunity, not a mandate, but if you would like, I would like for you to prayerfully read over this scripture and to answer three questions and to share your answers with me. The three questions were, what does it mean to choose life? What helps you choose life? What prevents you from being able to choose life? So I invited these good folks, and I'm grateful that many of them did indeed respond and and send in some notes. Most said they appreciated it. I can think of a couple that said they weren't sure whether that invitation was the blessing or the curse. I think some of their answers will sound very familiar to you if you'd had that opportunity, reminding us that we're all very much in this together. And I think that they'll also bring you some hope and some encouragement. So here's some random responses. First, what does it mean to choose life? Not surprising. Being responsible with my time, my money, my body. I loved this one. It was being aware that every action, no matter how small, has an impact on our world. As Carla said during the children's moment, you know, if you throw, if you throw a piece of litter down, that has a negative impact on the world. The person who, who responded in this particular case said, if I use one of those paper cups out there for water or coffee, I rinse it out and put it in the recycling instead of throwing it away because that was a tree and that had value. Looking for good in everyone. And then this was interesting, putting oneself in uncomfortable situations through service to others so I can learn and grow. The second question, what helps us choose life? And here I want to say early role models. So grandparents, uh, scout masters, uh, teachers, mentors, that overwhelmingly, almost everybody mentioned that. So if, I want to give a shout out, if you're uh, one of our volunteers that tutors at Hartman Elementary, if you're one of our folks who helps with uh, literacy and such down at uh, Grace United, if you are uh, active in Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, and we have uh, you know both uh, here or other kinds of youth organizations, if you're a volunteer in our Sunday school program or our student program, I want you to hear that that down the road, you may not immediately see it, but down the road at some point, your investment of time and your heart is going to pay big dividends. So a big shout out to all of you. What else helps? Well, acts of service that connect us to others. Finding one positive thing to do. Interestingly, someone said that what helps was being aware of the difficulty of choosing the greater good. Surrounding oneself with others who are trying to respond to God's love and the gift of life. So family, friends, church. And finally, of course, prayer, scripture, spiritual reading. And probably half of the respondents named mindfulness or purposefulness or intention to just pause and be focused for a moment. Now here's the tough question. What inhibits or prevents or discourages you? from being able to choose life. This is the winner for me. Direct quote, being human. A focus on me, busyness, pride, 
competition, especially in the workplace, and that person went into great detail, younger woman went into great detail, a culture of consumerism, wastefulness, opulence in the face of so many having so few, so little. And then this is the big kicker, I suspect, over and over again. Peer pressure, fear of not fitting in, fear of, quote, being attacked. It was interesting, uh, three or four months ago during the election, remember we had an election? Remember how pleasant that was? Um, I had the great opportunity uh, to do a couple of talks during that time and uh, about the, the faith aspects of that. And, I, and you know, I, I, in each case I said, you know, if you don't like the way the parties or the candidates are acting, you're all eligible to run for office. You all qualify. Somebody step up, do something, you know. And folks had lots of reasons, some of them more like excuses, but lots of reasons why that wouldn't work, why they weren't interested. But one person, I think, nailed it, people will say mean things to me. Yes, obviously. Remember I said that good doesn't necessarily mean easy. Jesus spoke up for the poor and the children and the oppressed and the forgotten. And society's answer was loud and clear, and we are constantly reminded of it right there. Real choices are often hard, and they come in real time, unexpectedly, and sometimes when we are very ill-prepared to know what to do about them. I'll tell you an embarrassing story about me. This is in the early 1980s. Yeah, I know if you're younger, you go, wow, you were alive in the 1980s. That's a long time ago. Uh, it's the early 1980s, so put that in a little context. And Susan and I had a little uh, mom-and-pop print shop. And there again, if you're young, you've never seen a mom-and-pop print shop because they're extinct. But so this was this little mom-and-pop print shop, and, and, it, and it was just a lot of fun. We had all kinds of different customers, and, and at this particular stage of the print shop, it was very, very small. And there was a little counter, kind of about this big, you know, and uh, uh, there was a little entranceway through a glass door. And this, and we had all kinds of folks there. And uh, we were just, and we didn't intend for that to happen. It just kind of happened. But we had, we had left and right and everybody. It was, it was fun. Uh, well, this one day, this uh, gay couple is standing here. Again, this is a very small entranceway. Uh, and they were picking up some printing. And this other gentleman came in the door. And I don't know, I, I never knew what had set him off. But he came in the door fuming about homosexuals and ranting. And I... And I'm going like, what? You know, and I, I was, I was, I was, I was just stunned. I did, you know, what's happening? And and you know, I, this is, you know, I started to say something. You know, as I'm kind of getting my wits about me, because people did not normally come in the door just, you know, furious. And I started to say something. I looked over at my at my gay buddies, and they just gave me the slightest little head shake. Yeah, let it go. So I didn't say anything. I let it go. But it didn't feel good then. And it never felt good. Would it have uh, been, you know, fuel to the fire if I just said, hey, you know, we don't talk like this here, you know. Uh, you know, here are two very nice gay guys. Why don't you meet them? And, you know, maybe, would that have been a life-giving opportunity for him, you know, to meet some real live gay guys that, that were friends of ours? Or would that have added fuel to the fire? Um, don't know how that would have worked out. Didn't do it. 
I do know, and I'll, this is the confession part, I do know that uh, you know, we were a small shop, and this was our sole source of income. And I, you know, as I'm running through the possibilities in my head, I'm realizing that if I say something, that this guy may not come back and be a customer anymore. And this is how I feed Susan and Justin at the time. I will say, now, when I get the privilege of going out and praying with folks who are trying to organize unions or who are talking about fair wages for people of color or women or whatever, uh, I never do that casually or cavalierly. I recognize that their jobs, which represent their grocery bills, are on the line. And I take that as a very serious responsibility. Anyway, I let it go because I wasn't sure what the most life-giving situation, the most life-giving response was. My friends suffered in silence because they cared for me. I did not speak up for them. Again, in excuse or defense or whatever, I was pretty young at the time, pretty new to the business world. And more than that, pretty new to trying to follow this guy, Jesus. Over the course of time, like our survey respondents, I have come to rely on my faith community, on people that I trust, that I care about, that are good role models and good mentors, that provide a safe place to ask questions and to pray hard prayers like the one we prayed earlier. So I want to say thank you to all of you today. Whether this is the first time you've walked through those doors or whether your mama carried you here years ago, I want to say thank you for coming and praying, being with us. We're going to break bread and share at the table here in a minute. We've been singing. I appreciate that, that you have come and that the Holy Spirit has led us here to talk and to pray. Think about how we can serve. Because that really is the core mission of the church. You know, we build beautiful buildings and we do lots of other things. But the core mission of the church, as Jesus set out with his disciples, is to gather, talk, encourage, challenge, invite other people. Come learn and serve and live and love. It's why the Holy Spirit gathered the church at Pentecost and empowered it, has empowered the church down through all these ages, and has gathered and empowered us this very morning. And of course, all that echoes Moses' lesson in the desert all those years ago. That if we're people in covenant with God, following Jesus' command to love neighbor, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, that we can be the community that helps us choose life. Amen.